Guys, we're back to Romans chapter 8. Um, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you might uh, recall that we were, were in Romans 8 28. And um, of course, last week was our missions conference. So uh, we were interrupted. But tonight we go back to that. So you um, grab a hold of your Bibles. And, and uh, you know, guys, if you've never been into scripture memory, this would be a great one to memorize. Uh, Romans 8.28 is, is memorized by many of God's people, and um, uh, this would be a good one. If you've never memorized a verse of Scripture, this would be a good one. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to His purpose. That's the text under, under scrutiny. I, I told you two weeks ago that we're going to take plenty of time with it, and I'll uh, show you why and how that's possible as we proceed. Last week, or two weeks ago actually, um, I tried to point out that there is a limitation in the text. Um, the, the text does not have universal application. Uh, there is glorious good news in Romans 8.28, but it is not glorious good news for everyone. It is glorious good news only for those who are described in the text. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and the called according to his purpose. And so what I tried to do two weeks ago is simply point out that the text, as, as marvelous as it is, it is, um, it is not designed for uh, universal application. It is designed for application uh, for those whom the text describes. And what we did is look at the two parts of that description two weeks ago. That is, that they are lovers of God and they are the called according to his purpose. So if that describes you, this text is indeed uh, a piece of um, marvelous news. But having settled that, that is two weeks ago, having settled the fact that the text contains a, a boundary to it, a limitation to it, what I want to show you tonight is that there is also in the text a piece of universality. Uh, it does not have universal application, but there is a universal contained within it. And that universal is simply this. For we know that all things, um, all things, that's the universal. Uh, no limit to that. Uh, we know all things work together for the good. Now, some have suggested that um, that all things is a reference to trial and difficulty and hardship. But that wouldn't be all things. Um, however, since we all know and agree that the good things that we consider good are for our good, um, what we're left with is a concentration on those other things that we would deem not so good. Uh, and I can assure you, my dear brother and sister in Christ, that life can be counted on to give you as much of that stuff as you can possibly bear. Whatever you need, life will give it to you. <laughs> so, uh, in one sense... It includes more than the trial and the difficulty and the hardship. But we don't have any questions about that good stuff. So that's, that's a common uh, agreement. So we have to focus our attention on that other stuff that life so often seems to mete out to us. 
Um, Rutherford said that we are to praise God for the hammer, the file, and the furnace. Well, that's what disappointment and, and, and difficulty and hardship are. That's, the, that's how they operate. They operate like a hammer and a file and a furnace. And, and it comes in all shapes and sizes. It's, it's, um, there's a great deal of variety to those all things. There's, uh, there's an unfulfilled romance. If you've ever worked with singles, as I did for six years, you'll, you'll hear that a lot. And a, and a hardship it is. There is um, a lingering illness or, or a, an untimely death. Many of your homes have been rocked by those kinds of things or a, a, um, a, an unexpected and, and unwanted job termination that you didn't see coming, um, a complete surprise a, or something as, as intimate and personal as a broken marriage or a home that has been shattered by... Um, rebelling kids, or uh, a friendship that went sour that you valued, or uh, um, all kinds of medical reports that we seem to come more frequently. And then some doctor walking into an office and saying that surgery is required immediately. <laughs> Those are great words. Um, there's, there's a depression that seems to be... Um, so much more frequent um, the longer I'm in ministry, but uh, I, I, I seem to deal with more and more people who, who point to a depression that simply won't go away or, uh, or a habit that you can't seem to break. Sometimes, um, sometimes the heartache comes suddenly. Other times it creeps up over months and perhaps years and then slowly... Uh, eroding the vitals of our soul. Um, you know, I, I'm going through a difficult transition right now. It's called life. And it's full of things that I, some of which surprise me, some of which I deserve, some of which I don't deserve, some of which perhaps I, uh, I had coming, other things... Um, I never merited, but I've got anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, these things that, um, that trouble us all are not good in and of themselves. And I want to say to you as, as pastorally, but as firmly as I know how, it is sheer idiocy to pretend that they are good. Pain if I know anything about it, pain is painful. And when we have it, our number one response to it is that we want less of it. There is nothing inherently good about suffering. Gang, the Bible does not say all things are good. That's not what that text says. It says all things are work for good. But, but there's almost a, a premium in the evangelical community based on um, people responding to their pain, their pain with some kind of toothy grin painted all over their faces when they're in the midst of deep pain.
pain. Ladies and gentlemen, that is, that is emotional dysfunction. It doesn't say all things are good. An alcoholic husband is not good. But it does say it works together for good. Some of the ways that Christians and and non-Christians deal with suffering in my mind, pretty hard language, but some of the ways, some of the responses, the difficulty that I hear that that are bantered about in the Christian community must be authored by morons. Things like this. Every cloud has a silver lining. Not some of them, ladies and gentlemen. Some of them are black all the way through. You want proof? Go read Psalm 88 tonight. David, not one, one smidgen of hope in that entire psalm. Um, or sometimes um, it, it, it seems to me to be downright insulting to tell somebody to cheer up, you know, look on the bright side, you know, it, it could be worse. You know, you, you did hear about the guy, didn't you, who was told to cheer up because things could get worse? So he cheered up, and sure enough, things got worse. <laughs> um, you know, guys, um, years back, I, um, I dealt with a young woman, and, and she was young. I mean, she was in her 20s. And um, she was a widow in her 20s. And her husband, and I forget exactly what he died of. I think it was, a, it was cancer or brain tumor or something, but he died. And she, um, she told me that for three months, she went around rejoicing that her husband uh, was healed. All the while, watching him die. Who told her to do that? Who gave her that advice? Who gave her that counsel? What kind of pastor would say, you know, would, would tell somebody that? What what I'm saying to you guys is some of the ways that we approach this subject are are infantile. They're they're, they're not worthy of us. And ultimately, they damage. To tell somebody the reason that that they're in such pain is because they don't have enough faith is positively cruel. It's cruel. Don't tell people that. You have no basis for that. Um, that's why the faith healers on television are such charlatans. They're banking things on some kind of measure of my faith. It does nothing but make my situation worse. It's, it's moronic, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, there's an old saying um, that if prosperity is the blessing of the Old Testament, then adversity is the blessing of the New. I like that. New Testament believer. (laughs) Um, Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulation. You know, I I, I went to school a long time. I I figured out one time that I went to school for 21 years. And I've got got all kinds of degrees. Um, But you know what? It doesn't take any of my degrees to understand in this life, you will have tribulation. And if you have not experienced that, either you're not in this world or you need to get off those drugs you're taking. 
because this is a promise as sure as is any promise in the New Testament. In this life, you will have tribulation. Now, let me pause just quickly to say, that's why Romans 8 can take us so long, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I could spend a whole long time, and I'm not. I'll probably spend the night, and Lord willing, next week, if, um, if the Lord allows. But, I mean, you can see this, this promise is wonderful, but I, I want to try and offer you some other ways to think through it, and hopefully they'll be helpful to you. Um, gang, the good is to be found in what God turns trial into. That's where the good is. Not in the trial, not in the suffering. There is nothing good about cancer, folks. And the Bible never said that. All things are good. It didn't say that. It said all things work together for good to them that love God and the call according to his person. Guys, that's going to be our focus in my little couple of times with you. Um, we're going to focus our attention on what God is turning this thing into. What God is up to in all this that you and I and the rest of us are experienced. Um, the most comforting, I think, if not the most, one of the most comforting pieces of news that the Scriptures has to offer us, or it has to offer at least those who are in the midst of their own private hell or their own private suffering, is that where there is, or where the pain is, and where the grief is, and where the hurt is, that's where God is. Um, Isaiah chapter 43, uh, don't turn there, let me just read this to you real quick. Um, uh, Isaiah says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. It doesn't say if you pass through the waters or if you pass through the, the fires. It says when you do. A couple more. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in return for you. Peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not. For I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I guess, guys, again, the greatest news for the sufferer is that where pain and grief and hurt are found, there God has promised to be with you. So you see, what is happening to you is not nearly as important as what is happening in you when it comes to these all things. The Bible never promises that through some kind of formula you're going to be able to avoid this. I, I will say that the, uh, the wealthier you are, the, the more we think we can avoid them. But you know, this God of ours, He is, he is awfully creative. He, um, he finds things that uh, even uh, bypass our checkbooks because he's up to something, and that's what I want to focus your attention on. What is it that God is up to? And what we're going to do tonight is I'm just going to introduce kind of a general principle, and the next week we'll come back and we'll talk about some specifics under that principle. But um, first of all, I've simply said that through it all, he is there, he's up to something, and that 
thing that he's up to is what makes for the happy result, for the good result. Um, and, and by the way, I'm not referring to heaven. I'm not saying, well, it's all going to work out in heaven and it'll be good there. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there's going to be a good result here. Now, heaven is a good thing, and heaven is a, a that's a wonderful thing. And, and a, a promise that we ought to talk about a whole lot more than we do. But I, I don't want you to think that, uh, I, that oh yeah, I'm going to have to endure this because then in heaven it'll be good. I'm saying it's good now, in this life. All things work together for good now, or eventually. <laughs> um, things work for good. The, uh, the tense of that Greek verb is in the present, ladies and gentlemen. That means that they are presently working good. Now they're working. Not some future promise. That's, that's, that's there too for us. But the, but the text here is talking about presently working good for us, in us. You know, it's, it's easy to believe that all things have worked together for my good in the past. Because we, we look back at those things and we say, yeah, you know, that was kind of hard, but look at what the, the, the great good that came out of that. I mean, we can, we can assess our lives. We can, we can look back at the history of our lives and say, goodness gracious, I don't ever want to fall down those stairs again, but falling down those stairs was one of the best things that ever happened to me. That was a great thing. You know, ladies and gentlemen, um, when my wife and I had limped out of Ocala, Florida, after 10 years of ministry, driving a big brown van, and my daughter says to me, uh, you know, Daddy, this is a great adventure, but within days I'm lying in bed with her, and she says, Daddy, the adventure is over. And, and my little heart and my wife's heart are breaking. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't so really wonderfully enjoyable. But I say to you, I look back on what God did then, and it was the best thing that ever happened to us. And all my family would say that. All my family would say that. It's, it's not hard to look back on how God accomplished good in the past. I'm saying to you, it's happening, what is happening to you right now, that's what knocks us off balance. Guys, here's, here's the nature of this promise of Romans 8.28. At this very second, in the midst of the worst of your pain, at this very second, all things are working for your good. Now, again, understanding that you're a lover of God and the call according to His purpose. Can we assume that just for a second? Uh, maybe that's true of everybody. I would hope that's true. But I'm saying if that is you, at this very Second, not some sweet by and by, now, all things are working for my good. Um, you know, guys, it's easy to believe God when there's really nothing to believe Him for. Um, you and I speak so boldly about, uh, you know, the mountains that we would... Um, that we would climb for God, but the, and we come to a little molehill in our souls and it trips us all up. I, I, I don't know that I should take time to do this, but I just, if you've never seen this text, I want you to see this. If you've got your Bibles open, if you can find 1 Kings chapter 20 real quick, I just want to show you something because it's a piece of, it's a wonderful piece of advice concerning this whole subject of, of um, how we approach this issue of trials. It's in 1 Kings chapter 20. I love this. 
this is a this is the midst of a um, a war, a um, um, Ahab who wasn't a very good guy uh, is warring with Syria, and uh, Ahab is um, you know not not stellar in 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 any way, but um, uh, look at verse ten. Um, um, uh, yeah, let's. Oh, I guess I should go further up. But um, uh, anyway, Ben Hadad has showed up. He's the he's the king of Syria, and Ben Hadad says, you know, we're about to wipe you off the the planet. You know, you, you guys are not long um, for life. And so, um, um, yes, it's in verse eleven, First Kings twenty, verse eleven, and the king of Israel answered, "Tell him that is tell Ben Hadad." Let not him who straps on his armor boast himself like he who takes it off. <laughs> Do you know what he just said? Hey, tell Ben Hadad that he should, you know, kind of button it up. Tell him not to be, uh, you know, talking so big. Tell him not to be talking like he's taking his armor off. Uh, you know, he's just really buttoning it up. I mean, the battle hasn't taken place yet. So tell him not to boast like somebody's taking his armor off. Tell him to boast like somebody's putting it on. Do you see that? My, my point is, guys, that's a piece of advice for us. When it comes to difficulty, don't boast like you're somebody putting the armor on or putting the armor, taking the armor off. You better remember, you're not in the battle just yet. It's easy to trust God when there's nothing to trust God for. So don't boast like you're taking the armor off. Wait and wait until you've wait until you until the battle's over. We already know the past. But again I say, know this, right now, whatever hardship that we are experiencing is working for our good. God is working, He's up to something good for us. Now, let me be a bit more specific and um um, about what God is up to, and then we'll um, we'll close up here in just a minute. But um, I want to I want to read you this quote from C.S. Lewis. Of course, C.S. Lewis is all of our well, many of our heroes. But C.S. Lewis said, "Pain provides the opportunity for heroism." <laughs> Unfortunately, that opportunity is rarely seized by many of us. Um, Hopefully that will change when we understand a few things about what God is up to in the midst of all this. Um, one man by the name of Samuel Shoemaker said this, and, I, and, and I'm sure I probably couldn't prove this biblically, but there's a point here. He, says, he said, the surest, the surest mark of a Christian is not faith, it is not even love, it is joy. And uh, there's a real truth behind that. In the, in the midst of whatever it is that we're encountering, to, to have joy in the midst of it is really a, a, a victory of faith. Well, let me tell you generally what God is up to, and we'll add some specifics next week. During the difficulty, during the trouble, during the trial, whatever it is, whatever words you want to use, what is going on in the main is that we are being awakened. That is, we're being made to remember certain things. You know, our, our spiritual sensibilities seem to atrophy over time, especially during times of ease. Um, in times of success, when we're, when we're seduced by our own success, 
our, our spiritual sensibilities, sensibilities seem to get flabby and atrophy in our own soul. Nothing is so dangerous as the condition where everything seems to be going fine. If you want an example, take the King David, who is walking around on his roof when all the kings are supposed to be out at war and everything's just going fine. And within hours, he's in bed with Bathsheba. Guys, the, the statement, we have all we want, is a terrible sentence when all that we want does not include intimacy with God. And those periods arise when things are very easy. God wants to give us something, but He can't because our, because our hands are full. You, um, you can't put anything into a clenched fist. People who have folded arms can't be embraced. So in this period of whatever it is, the thing that's going on is that we're being awakened. Um, you've heard this, I'm sure. This is another C.S. Lewis quote. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience. But He shouts in our pain. C.S. Lewis calls pain the megaphone of God. He uses a megaphone to arouse our slumbering souls. He unstops our ears. And He reminds us of certain things. And that's what we'll look at next week. The, the things that, that, he, um, that He's reminding us. The trial shocks us. We're, uh, we're, we're somewhat inebriated by our own well-being, our own well-doing, our own well-feeling. And so something comes along. Sometimes you deserve it. Sometimes He gives it to you just because He loves you. But He brings something into our existence that arouses the slumbering soul. And we're made for the first time in a long time to think. Because... We haven't done much of that because our own blasted prosperity has, has lulled us into some kind of spiritual slumber. You know, we, um, we've been healthy for months and suddenly we, we feel this strong shooting pain that comes in the side and goes out the other side and, and um, scares the daylights of us. Out of us, and we we hurry into the uh, the doctor's office, and we tell him about the pain that is shot through this side, and went all the way over to this side. And the doctor does all of his examining, does all his work, and and he looks at the problem, and he comes back in the office, and he says, "Why didn't you come before?" And we say, "Doc, I didn't know." Until the pain. It's that, that pain that God uses to awaken us to certain spiritual needs that we've forgotten.
And the reason that we forgot them is because we're sated with our own success and ease and comfort. Nothing more dangerous, ladies and gentlemen. And so a good Heavenly Father who will not allow you to wander off into spiritual lethargy sends the pain. And for the first time in a long time, we're awake. That's what he's up to. We'll look at some specifics next week. But generally speaking, it's simply this. What is he up to? He's awakening. He's reminding us of certain things that we have forgotten. And he'll use pain to remind us. We'll look at some specifics next week. Our Father, I do pray that your people might find instructive and helpful and comforting a reminder that you have committed your very character to the promise that you have made to your people that all things, the good things, yes, but those things that are not so good, those things too work together for good to a certain group of people who love you and are the called according to your purpose. That would be us, Lord. So for this group of precious folk, stir us to a newfound spiritual life by reminding us of what is important and what is lasting and what is real and what is true. Give us a greater appetite, a greater longing for the eternal as opposed to the temporal. And Father, for many of us, that's going to mean that you will drive us to yourself via a sharp shooting pain. Remind us then, Lord God, of this wonderful promise made to your people. We make our prayer, of course, in the name of Christ Jesus, the Lord. Amen. Thanks, guys, and good night. We'll see you, um, Lord willing, next week.